right, it's Dr. K. And here, Valerie J. And Jasmine. And welcome to Black Women Voices. Welcome to episode 14 of Black Women Voices. This week, we are tackling the topic of Black women and advocating for minority students. We are excited to have with us Renelle Fayard. Renelle Fayard serves as an academic coach and coordinator for the iMentor Peer Mentor Group for the Office of Multicultural Student Services at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. Prior to joining the MSS team, she served for two years with the Missouri College Advising Corps as a college advisor at a high school in Southeast Missouri. As a college advisor, she assisted high school students with navigating the college going process by providing guidance and resources necessary for a successful transition to their post-secondary goals. She is a proud graduate of Southeast Missouri State University with a bachelor's degree in communication disorders. Currently, Rennell is pursuing a Master of Public Administration at Southeast Missouri State University. Rennell is excited to empower students toward attaining academic success and reaching their full potential. So sit back and enjoy this conversation. All right, all right, ladies, we are back and we are on episode 14. 14. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, 14. So we have um, today Renelle Thayard, and we are discussing how we advocate for minority students as black women. And I'm really interested into this conversation, especially um, since I work at an HBCU and most people will look at my students as the minorities at historically white institutions. So I'm interested in the conversation and what we're going to learn from Renelle today. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank y'all so much for having me. I'm excited. Yes. So let's let's kind of just get right into it. Um, so when you think about your minority students, who are your minority students, first of all? At my school, I would definitely say, um, of course, African-American students, but not only them, a lot of low-income students, I feel like don't have a place or they're trying to figure out how this exactly works or they come, they kind of end up a lot of them kind of come to our office or hear about us through other people. Um, so I think they play a big role in minority. In addition to, we do have a small kind of growing Hispanic population, but the majority of the minority population is African-American slash low-income students or first-gen students. Okay, okay. And is there like a big difference between, especially the students that you work with, mm -hmm. um, is there a big difference between minority male versus minority women? Yes. So the students I work with, I see a lot of the minority women more. I do see minority men, but I try to connect with them. But I feel like sometimes it's hard because some of the topics or um, things they really want to discuss or that they go through, they're looking for, I guess, a male insight. And we do have African-American males in our department. Um, but it's not as much as females in general or the minority female. Right. Um, so I do talk to African-American males, but I find myself or they ask about the other um, African-American males in the office and I kind of connect them together. So we still keep in touch. It's all kind of a circle, but I see them kind of wanting some male interaction or some insight from a male, especially African-American males, since we have that in our office. So I see mostly minority women but not all minority women. Gotcha. 
And see, that's very interesting because as this conversation um, in terms of who is who are the demographic, who are what is a minority student? And I think historically it has been race based on race or ethnicity. And um, one of the 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 people that I hear that you advocate for is really about class and finance and that mm-hmm. being one of the greater equalizers. Um, I can't say that's one of the greater, that's, that's a little strong, but it is becoming a strong population. So how or does your institute actually dictate how you can advocate for these students and really what students you should be advocating for? That's a very, very good question. So that's like my day to day. Um, When I meet with students, when I'm talking to students, when I hear their concerns or what they're looking for or what are they wanting, especially the minority students, I definitely try to talk with them, A, about using their voice, advocating for themselves, just kind of walking through that process. Like, what does that look like? I've never done this before, but not being afraid, just kind of, I guess, coming into their own, so to speak. So when advocating for minority students, depending on, you know, the exact situation, because there's so many different shoulda, coulda, wouldas and situations that occur, it kind of depends on where the student is at and what can I realistically connect them to, what, who can I, you know, pass them, not pass them, but introduce them to, to talk to, to get through this or to connect to the resources. And also just where are they at this moment? Um, So some students, you know, they feel like they want to unfortunately drop out, right? So of course, I want to influence them to stay in school and to persevere and to keep going. But sometimes after connecting with a different department or knowing about personally what's all going on, they really may need this break, you know, but they are not comfortable to talk about it with their professors or with other peers because they're just supposed to keep going and everything's going to be fine. Or they just feel like they have to keep, they, they feel the pressure of to keep going, to keep surviving, keep moving, but they mentally sometimes just need like, I need just someone to vent to, to explain my choices A, B, and C, and just to kind of hear them out. So I think it just depends on the circumstance as well as where the student is at, kind of in their mental, personal life or space. So it's, it's tricky, it really, really is, but seeing a familiar face, I think definitely helps them and gives them a sense of, okay, I could really tell somebody, you know, the real what's going on and they'll really understand me and help me maneuver through this circumstance. Well, right, because they're they're actually not having to educate the very person who's supposed to be advocating for them. Right. Because that that's really, truly helpful. So that kind of brings me into the conversation of that sounds like a lot of kind of work even outside of the traditional time. Because even though we know student affairs and higher ed is not really a traditional work day, but that sounds like that constant advocating, you never get a chance to turn off. Because right. essentially in that, you're always on. You all, whether that's weekend or not, you always have to kind of do that. So then in, that, in terms of advocating, and that's a lot that you're doing and standing in the gap for, for students, who is advocating for you? Like, in all of the things that you do, especially because I would, I would imagine that there's times in that advocating that often puts you in spaces that can be hot water. So who's advocating for you? Who is showing up for you in the work that you do so that you can continue to do that work? 
I would definitely say my supervisor advocates for me, especially not only working with the students, but I also in a peer mentor coordinator. So I oversee a peer mentor program. A lot of the minority students utilize that as well. Um, and that's where upperclassmen in certain majors are matched with freshmen and they kind of meet up their first year just to have someone to do, to figure out this, uh, the school with, figure out what clubs to join, what things to get involved in, what's for me, what's the best fit. So I would say my supervisor, she is an African-American woman and I know her passion and we have had talks one-on-one -on -one about what she sees minority students here um, at the institution, what are they wanting, what are they needing, what are they gravitating more towards. So I definitely feel supported by my supervisor um, because of course she's an African-American woman, but she understands firsthand what the students go through, what they're actually wanting behind closed doors or what are they needing or what are they saying or what are they trying to find that fit or trying to find or trying to get out of other sometimes professionals in higher ed or at the institution that they can't, again, that they kind of have to educate the background or their personal story versus just venting and asking them for advice. Where should I go from here? Or what's the best way to navigate this situation? Okay, that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. I think even in, in, in the role that you are in, it's important that they understand the point of it. And it's not that you're also trying to educate your supervisor. Um, right. But they understand why you're doing the things that you're doing. And you're not having to educate them as it relates to that too. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, with so you you mentioned your supervisor. Outside of your supervisor, um, do you identify any other people as advocates for the work that you're doing? More so for you, like you know, supporting you, lifting you up, and those types of things. Yes, definitely. In my department, um, there's other. Uh, coaches who have the same position that I do and we kind of understand and have talks and have meetings firsthand about what these students are going through. Outside of our department, there are some advocates that I could think of, but it's tricky because it's a larger school and I've only been in this position a year and a half, so I'm still really getting to know some other people outside of our department and unit to see what is advocating, what is advocating look like to them for minorities, what, it, what minorities are they focused on or what they see minorities as? So I definitely can pinpoint, like think off the top of my head, at least two to three people outside of my department who I know advocate for minority students and kind of have firsthand glimpse or have an idea of what that looks like. But um, besides them, I'm still trying to, I guess, understand the culture to try to figure out what is the minority focus and how is that being implemented day right. to day? Right. So, Renee, I know you kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I know you touched on the topic of being able to teach students how to advocate for themselves. Um, but I know sometimes it's hard for them to get that concept of advocation. So when it comes to your job um, and your experiences, how does other mothering kind of show up in a space of, um, you having to be the advocate for them? Do you feel like you take on more of a role of just um, an advisor or um, whatever your position may have been? So, yeah. So, I definitely, definitely identify with overmothering. I actually was just thinking about that earlier today. Um, many of my students 
always say that oh, I'm so encouraging, I'm so nurturing, but I also do try to allow them to see like this area that you're in, this space that you're in, this is the time to, you know, try new things, try to advocate for yourself and try to, you know, kind of step out of your comfort zone a bit to kind of just, you know, not only, not necessarily challenge yourself, but to be proud and to know who you are and where you stand with certain things. And if you feel like it's at a point where you need to advocate for yourself for whatever matter, knowing one, how to go about that process and two, being confident in that and knowing that, you know, you have a right to, and you should be able to advocate for yourself and speak for yourself. So I definitely um, always encourage my students, even walking through the buildings or the hallways, like, how you doing? Keep it up. Like, you got this. Whatever you're going through, whether it's overcoming, how I'm going to do on this test, how I'm doing in this class or other personal things, just constantly speaking to them something positive, influencing, encouraging, like, this is the middle of the semester. You're halfway through. Keep going. You can do this. Everything's working out for your good. Stay positive. Keep your head up. Mm -hmm. The glass is half full, not half empty. Just mm -hmm. constantly, just even those small little seeds of just telling that through the hallway or look at you. I see you networking. Good job. You know, trying things they talk about with me one-on-one, -on -one, they're actually implementing and doing by themselves or with a group of other students or friends. Just seeing that, I feel like definitely can be over mothering in addition to just thinking about them on the weekends like oh i wonder how this went i wonder how that went i can't wait to see so and so next week or even just send them an email like hey haven't seen you in a while hoping all is well i know you're doing good this semester graduation right around the corner you got it sis so just just little <laughs> things but definitely me trying to just be as encouraging as possible even just for little small things i say or even just wrapping up our meetings just remembering about Think about why we started. Think about what you have overcome. Think about mm -hmm. how you got to this point. And knowing that this is not your end, keep pushing. This is just the beginning of the next best chapter, especially with graduation. I really try to push my seniors like, come on, don't give up. We still got to do this. We still got to give 110% effort. So definitely overmothering by constantly thinking about them and just encouraging them every way I can possible and connecting them to resources they need. So, Renell, you, you, you mentioned that you are, I think you said, a year, year and a half in this position. Yes. So, when you think about higher, higher education overall, you've, you've been in the field for about how many years? So, before this position, I did more pre-collegiate work. Um, I helped high school students get to college in that process. So, I started this position here in my current uh, university in June 2018. So, a little bit over a year and some months I've been. I guess overall in higher ed. Well, higher ed, I would say I did two years previously at the high school, so about three years overall, but this is my first kind of experience at a university. So when you think about your, your pre-college experience and working with those students, and then now working with college students, <clears throat> do you feel as though, um, one, what two things? One, what is, how do you show up differently between the two atmospheres, um, high school students and college students. And the second piece, in terms of the college students, do you feel like you have the sole responsibility um, to advocate for them because you're a minority yourself in the workplace? Ooh, that's <laughs> <laughs> So 
with the first question, do I feel like, or how is it different my role as now being at a university versus kind of pre-collegiate trying to get the students to university? Um, to me in high school, not only am I trying to help and advocate for the high school students, I'm also constantly trying to influence and speak to and inform parents slash guardians slash caretakers, which is very different because, you know, in college, once you sign those forms, only a certain person can look at your grades, only a certain person can touch your financial aid. It's more of like kind of the hand-holding is off to an extent from a familiar uh person or place from a parent or guardian and I think it's more of a college student interesting in someone like myself someone who's advocating for them or someone who has experienced similar experiences to them to kind of help them navigate the system to eventually get to graduation or to overcome whatever circumstance or be equipped with the right resources to handle the situation so I, I the reason I really love college students in general or this time I feel like the college realm, those four or five years of that undergraduate degree is a very pivotal, pivotal time in any young person's experience. Just coming to know who you are, what you want to be, not necessarily your major, but so many life experiences outside of that happen. Once you walk across the stage, it's almost like a new person, a new chapter has evolved from that. And, you know, the time frame, even those four or five years, it's very, very short, but you grow up very, very fast. So with those students, I think learning how to advocate for them and, and seeing other people advocate for themselves that looks like them is almost crucial to knowing how other Black women professionals or professionals in general look like in professional spaces and knowing that it's possible for them and you can do it. So yeah. hopefully that answered your second question. So being that you are this, you're younger, you're a younger professional, or I want to say a newer professional. I like that terminology. <laughs> a newer professional, right? And in this role of advocating for students, um, some of us who have been advocating for students longer, sometimes you hear, you know, horror stories, I will say, but sometimes you hear really great experiences, right? Just depending on the spectrum, mm -hmm. you know, what pieces of advice have been given to you um, about advocating for students and, or, or even, you know, how your role and what that looks like for you? So two pieces of advice I have received um, was definitely trying to just listen to students always um, be there just with open arms, just ready to listen to them and hear them out. Not necessarily make decisions for them or try to influence them to do this or that, but just get an understanding of where they are and where they're trying to go. In a sense, kind of meeting them where they're at, right? I can't take you from A to Z in a year or in the next or two years, but I can take you maybe from A to F or F to J. You know, taking steps, but also Kind of, kind of allowing the student to paint the picture they want for themselves, whether that's advocating for themselves, graduation, the lifestyle that they want, they're accomplishing their dreams and goals, kind of letting them paint it, but also providing them with the steps or equipping them with the resources as time moves on to allow them to kind of know that this is, you know, this is possible for you and you're taking the steps and you're working towards that. So one kind of listening, being there, um, steps, Another thing I had to learn 
working with students, especially with a mental health concern or students that I don't have a mental health concern is unfortunately, I'm not a, I'm not a counselor. I don't have a counseling degree. So definitely, um, definitely knowing when to collaborate with a different office or partner with someone who is more equipped in that area. Um, and also introducing students to counseling. A lot of students don't, I think, realize that it's a free resource to them uh, or it costs, it's a very minimal charge and it's worth it and just to try it. So definitely kind of collaborating with other offices or other individuals who are more equipped in certain areas that I'm not, but also trying to step-by-step step push the students or allowing them to advocate them for themselves and push themselves to their highest expectation and allowing them to see how far they've come, how far they've grown. And so along those lines, I mean, and you kind of talked about some of the campus resources. Are there campus resources that you feel like are missing or overlooked that really could be a great ally for, for um, minority students or staff? Definitely. Our insti the institution that I'm at currently does not have a cultural center. We have, yes, I know. <laughs> so... Wait, how, how, how big is your institution? Wow. Our institution, we're, we're a big major institution in the area of the city that I live in. I'm trying to think how many students. Like, I would yeah. say overall about 15,000 students. But you the know, thing is, a, a lot of them don't live on campus. No Do you have even a multicultural center? I shouldn't say even, but no diversity centers on campus? So my department... Multicultural Student Services is kind of a multicultural mm -hmm. center, mm -hmm. off script, in between the lines. Um, there is, a, of course, Office of Diversity and Inclusion, but where the main office, you know, student comes to or students get referred to, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so, have you met so-and-so-and-so? Oh, they're real cool, they're in MSS, you need to get connected with them. Um, we're the ones that do a lot of the one-on-one -on -one meeting with students, um, kind of helping them navigate their way that sort of thing. So I think a cultural center would be phenomenal. <laughs> and I think it's overdue, to be honest. But you know, that's, that's above me. So, so I have a question. Because mm -hmm. I was in a similar situation to where I was in an institution that had no multicultural affairs. They had people who were in charge of um, communities. People who were person in charge of Black people. Another one was in charge of Native people or Indigenous mm -hmm. people and, and Latino people. And Asian people got someone as well. And so it seems like there's a lot that you do. Um, and I guess my event, my kind of knee-jerk reaction is, oh my gosh, burnout. Like what is going on? And so I guess my question centers the conversation of burnout. Like within your role, like how do you ensure that burnout, or, or is that even possible, to, that burnout doesn't manifest within the work that you do? And how can you, or how are you protecting yourself from this workplace burnout, this racial battle fatigue? Because this is a lot of work that you do. <sighs> <laughs> so I definitely practice self-care more than ever. Of course, people used to talk about it like, oh, what do you do for your self-care? Are you scheduling it? And you know, I would just get it as it comes, whether it's a sick day when I'm really sick versus me tapping out when I know I'm about to run into a wall. So I definitely try to practice um, 
I give my best at work. If I stay late at work, that's fine. But I give my best. But once I go home, I can't constantly, you know, focus my mind on it. Just hope for the best. Stay positive until the next day. And I will reach out to the students, whatever the case may be, or contact the students on my mind just to see, hey, how did that go? Or emailing someone or whatever. So personally, for myself, what I try to do, um, definitely I like to get facials like once every three to four months. I actually just got one Saturday. So I do practice self-care in that manner. Um, and just, I don't know. I'm stumped. I don't know. Besides, I do try to work out two to three days a week as self-care to try to not mentally burn out. Um, but me, just I guess something that I am trying to focus on now that I realize that I do it constantly, me constantly second guessing myself, like, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? You know, even though there's other professionals there, there's other people in my department, other departments, am I doing enough? Am I really reaching every student? like I should or like how I want to that comes to our office to get help with whatever the case may be, especially a minority student or African-American students. Um, so I definitely try to stay positive and do the absolute best I can. And also telling myself that, Renelle, you are more than enough. You are doing enough. There's always room for improvement, but keep on pushing. Just the same advice I give to my students trying to um, digest that myself on a daily basis. So what is it that makes you feel <clears throat> as though you're not doing enough? Where's that coming from? I guess not knowing outside of my department, not knowing how other people navigate for minority students or hearing the stories of, I talked to so-and-so in this department and all they did was da-da-da or they just said da-da-da-da or this happened and they was like, mm, da-da-da, just, you know, and it's, and, and it's like, really? So hearing student stories about how their experiences in other departments were not as what you thought they should be or would be or how their experience with your department and other my coworkers and the staff I work with, work with is like, it kind of makes me think like, should I be doing more or are they really getting serviced, you know, in an authentic, ad adequate ethical way in other areas? Hmm. So I feel like you kind of answered your question already before you even posed the question of are you doing enough in the sense of you spoke to your self-care um, and pretty much you said, you know, I put my best foot forward and I do all that I can do while I'm at work and then after that I can, you know, I leave that for the next day. Right. And so um, I do think that really, truly, as Black women, that's what we're accustomed to doing. We're constantly worrying, making sure, or wanting to make sure that we can have a hand on <laughs> even some of the things that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. Like those other offices are not in your control. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's hard. It is hard to disconnect. Um, very hard to disconnect in a sense of trying to make sure that the students have everything that they need. But I think we have to also realize that we can't give everything. True. Mm. And, I, and I think I also want to say that setting boundaries yes. is mm -hmm. a method of self-care. And so the idea that you leave something behind for the next day, to me, that's a boundary. Because you won't believe. You probably heard people working from home and 
I do oh, it yeah. too. I'm sure people, other people, and I, I know that's something that we have a practice in because I think a lot of times is that you spend a lot of your day working directly with the students and then you mm-hmm. still have to get your work done. There are still things that you have to do. But I think, you know, setting healthy boundaries is a great form of self-care. Right. It's one of the best. Well, and it also helps our students, right? Because then they understand that it's okay to say no. Like, it's okay. You don't have to take on everybody else's work. And that kind of, and you know, it also makes me wonder, like, how often do we hear non-colleagues of color talk about, um, you know, if they're, you know, are they sure that if they're doing enough? I mean, I hear that a lot from folks of color, um, specifically women of color, Black women, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, because we're taking care of that other mothering, that village support, whether that's a historical sentiment or a personal thing that we got, we got to. There's nobody else going to do it, but we have to do that. But that's no real conversation on what that does to us emotionally, physically and spiritually. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's OK to say that enough. I'm not going to do that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm just. <sighs> what, Dr. K? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. um, <clears throat> uh-oh. I saw one. I feel it coming. <laughs> Something's coming. Something's yeah, I, I, I something coming. I didn't want to do this. However, when you when you're led by the spirit. Okay, come on, spirit. So, <laughs> listening to you. And knowing that you are a year and a half in higher ed, I a lot is being put on you. And I'm fearful that if the right people are not placed around you, whether it's in the workplace or not, you're going to become this quote-unquote yes person because no one else is doing it for the minority students. And the other side is, when do you sit down and say, how can I continue to pour into, into, my, into my toolbox so that I can do what I need to do for my students? Because this whole concept of, am I doing enough? And what that looks like, we as Black women, oh my gosh, we take, we take a lot. And what I don't want to see is another young black woman professional in this field begin to take everything because, you know, they feel like they, they are the ones that need to do it, you know? Um, and I also don't want any young black woman in this profession to feel like they can't find someone or reach out to someone that looks like them to pour back into them. And so I know you mentioned your supervisor and um, she being an African-American woman. However, I'm thinking, and so I have a counseling degree, okay. so, but I'm not a counselor. So that's why my questions are coming like this. But I'm also thinking like 15,000 students, most of them are commuter. Who else is in that space? that is working alongside you, that's working with you and not just working through you. Mm-hmm. That's true. That, that, that was deep right there. That was <laughs> real deep. <laughs> um, 
So the people in my office, my coworkers, they do a great job. Three of them just got hired this past January 2019, so they're still learning new things with the position. Mm-hmm. The other two individuals in the department have one person came in with me and another person has been there a very, very long time. Right. So from what it seems like the culture or from what I've observed, our department has been kind of the ones who have held it down mm-hmm. for these students with you know, these types of situations or helping them navigate the process. So I don't feel like it's solely on me, no, but I do feel like unofficially between the lines, that's kind of what our department is known for. That's what our students kind of recognize us as, in addition to other things, because we don't help them, of course, pick classes and do that hardcore academic stuff. We're more developmental and guidance, connecting to resources and helping them discover and work on goals to um to develop themselves in a way Mm -hmm. so i don't feel like it's just me but since i'm new to the department as a black woman i feel expectation that of course i have to work harder or i have to work as hard even as my supervisor because she's done this work before so she's been with this institution for a while so she knows what it's like so she's very familiar but I guess having that hope and knowing that the seeds that I plant are important, whether they're here, there, anywhere, wherever they go, and knowing that it comes back full circle. And knowing that if a student feels comfortable and feels like this institution was the right place for me, I met so-and-so-and-so, and they helped me to develop this, this, and that, or I learned this, this, and that, then I feel like my hard work is done. Not saying I have to hear that from every student, but right. recognizing and seeing their growth over the years um, with the things that I'm doing or how I'm helping them advocate for themselves. Yeah. <sighs> <Ooh>. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, it's a lot. It really is. I think anytime you talk about advocating for students, there is, there is, um, especially black women, especially in black groups on campuses, especially at predominantly white institutions, you know, I don't know, there's not a group that I'm in that we don't talk about. How can we advocate for students? Mm -hmm. And I'm typically that one that's like, okay, wait a minute. Is that what this group is designed to do? Because there are times when it's like, okay, if I advocate for students in every role that I'm in, where do I get to advocate for myself? And if I don't advocate for myself, then who's going to advocate on my behalf? And so I do think that there's this balancing act that we as uh, student affairs professionals have to maintain so that we're not always giving. Because that's, to me, what, it, what I'm advocating. And then don't even get me started on how sometimes students don't really participate in advocating for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what is that? like? And their voice is not heard, but my voice is. And it's like, but the students aren't asking for that. You're, because sometimes we just, there are things that we know. So yeah. what is that? I mean, what do people feel about that? Like, like you said something, Anne, and oh gosh, this is a tough one for me. Listen, <laughs> um, this whole concept of, of modeling behavior. Mm-hmm. We as Black women in this profession have to get to a point where 
we know how to, what's, what's the concept? Bless them and release them. I've never heard that. Me either. And, and I'm taking that. Thank <laughs> you. I'm going to cite you, though. I'm going to no, cite you. It came from um, George Frazier, wrote a book called Click. And he talks about 10, ten truths to um, building extraordinary relationships. And one of them is learning how to bless them and then release them. And so I say that in the context of we do all this advocating for them. At what point do we begin to recognize the behavior that we're rewarding? Hmm. You know, know, because if a student comes back to you that you've been working with, advocating for a mentor and whatever, and they haven't picked up on something to start doing it for themselves, and we continue to reward that behavior of them not having to do it, then, then who are we? I think then we become an enabler. Yeah. To be honest, I think that there are, there are times when we need to advocate, but when we get to the point where me advocating for you replaces your own voice, or you don't even expect to do it, then that is me enabling you. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I think crippling our students, you know, for their future endeavors to say, you know what? No, no, no. You can't do it. Only I can do it for you. And then we get worn out break down, break up, or get angry when the things that we're advocating for on behalf of students, they don't, they don't act like they want it as much as, they, as we want it. Well, and the truth of the matter is that if, our, if we give them an inch, they will take a 50-yard mile. Yes. I mean, I, I know, I remember I was going to the carpet with a student. Like I was, I was probably speaking louder than she should have, than she was. And there was one day I couldn't do it. And she's like, I don't like who I'm seeing right now. And I was like, mother, I have done. In the effect of patience, I have, I'm at a one and I don't have anything left. And you push me beyond a one, you not going to look, you, you really ain't going to like who you seeing right now. And the sad part about it is that I did not, I'm thinking about this conversation because this is blessing me too. Like I absolutely took away the agency because I was like, oh, oh no, I can do it because I felt like I needed to be the human shield. And I wanted to stop all kind of arrows, darts, punches, because I needed to make sure that they, that the world didn't come at them because I wanted to make sure that I was there. I felt like my calling, I felt like it was all spiritual, my calling, my placement, all of that made me so I could get it before they could. Mm. But that didn't equip them. Right. Able to, when they go out in the world, there's no, there's not going to be nobody, no one to defend them. They are going to have to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lesson that I robbed them from being able to have because of my, let me protect you. Let me mother you. Let me other mother you. Right. And so, yes, we can think about how other mothering is positive and all of the great things. But if we don't balance that with allowing them to fall sometimes, mm-hmm. with allowing them to have these lessons, you know what? I'm not going to do this for you. I've given you the tools. Now, you know, there's a scripture that talks about that. It's time for you to launch out into the deep. Right time for you to do all of that yeah you don't help them then yeah and then they they graduate and some of them do well and some of them it's just 
they're so used to someone always being there to to protect them. Um, yeah. Yes. Shoot me. Fall. I want you to fall. I want you to fall. If I have to push you down to fall so that you know what it feels like, so you'll never intentionally do anything to yourself to fall again. But that's, that's me as a mentor. <laughs> that's, that's powerful though. Yeah, that's the, cause I can only tell you the experiences of my falls, but until you experience it yourself, you mm -hmm. don't get anything from it. And I definitely feel that as professionals, I think when we first, get into the profession that the idea of wanting to save or wanting to be there for all of the students I think that is the always the initial reaction the initial response to being in the hiring field and I think even for us it takes us a while or it takes a few years to where we get to a point to where we we're like okay we can't save everybody I have to let you bump your head and then I also think too that we forget that as adults, we had to bump our heads, <laughs> or as professionals, we had to bump our heads, and even in the professional realm, we're still bumping our heads um, to learn the lessons that we now know. I guess it's kind of like being a parent, you know. <laughs> you know what's right, you know what's wrong, you know how to do certain things or how to get to certain places, and so you try to instill that. But again, we didn't know that until we fell down until we bumped our head. But it, it's still hard. <laughs> yeah. this, this is a dope conversation because this is what we do like every day. You know, on the job, off the job, and people are looking, non-people of color, non-black people, are looking for us to, to pick up the pieces for these mm -hmm. students. Um, you know, I, I can count on my hand 10 times, you know, or more people, white people will call them white people will say, well, I have this, this student, he's black and X, Y, and Z. How do I, what do you, and I'm like, <laughs> does my, my, my race automatically tells you that I know how to fix a situation for someone who looks like me? We are not all the same. Now, what I can give them is a space that you can't give them per se, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I have the experiences um, or have had the experiences that these young people have had. I sit in front of students every day that have experiences that I can imagine having myself. And sometimes the conversations, I don't know how to get through them, but some type of way we get through them. And so when, when you talk about advocating for minorities, it, it goes back to who's advocating for the minority staff, you know, like that's a really big one. Mm -hmm. That's a really big one. Well, I mean, I think expectation though, like that you, because what if, what if you want to say no? Yeah. Like, even a space to say, you know what? I can't do it today. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think what, interestingly institutions get when they hire us of course we understand that they we serve multiple roles you know of course they they get somebody of color and they get you know they get a woman they got two for one or <laughs> that right but like i it makes me wonder if we ever if we have these moments of you know what 
I have, I have worked a 15 hour day. I can't do it. And I'm saying, no, does that have career implications on me? And, and, and am I in a space that values, see, like, I guess, I guess, okay, that's a question. So do you feel that, how important is it to be in a space that, that sees the work that you do and values it enough to say, you know what, I've seen you work 15 hour work, work days, two, two days a week. I'm going to give you this comp time, not time that I give you, but you've earned it. Like how important is it to be in a space that not only expects you to do this work, because I, I have an issue with that, but also, also expects you to be serious and guarded with the time of taking care of yourself because you can't do that. You can't do the work if you don't take care of yourself. So I think the expectation, I feel like it's a double-edged sword because for instance, it's like the expectation of you to serve students or all these students, this population of students and to do it well and to the max capacity 24, 7, 365. But like you said, again, so out of that, should I expect an extra day off or should I expect um, to go to this conference, <laughs> this conference that's out of state, the annual conference that's not cheap, mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles, should I expect that? And if it, and also if it's, even if it's even appropriate to advocate for yourself like that, or, or is it just like, this is just the trick of the trade. This is just how it is here. You just work literally your butt off and then people see, oh, okay. She's been working this hard for the same amount of years. Maybe now's the time that X, Y, Z should happen versus kind of like checkpoints, not checkpoints, but along the way, again, before you actually run yourself into a wall, right? But kind of like we were talking about earlier, kind of not making mistakes, but kind of with the students um, advocating for themselves or kind of like kind of falling. I think Alicia Keys said in the song something like, I think crying or falling ain't falling if you don't cry when you hit the floor or something like that. And that literally blew me. I was like, yeah, you feel it when you fall that hard, but you also feel it when you are overworked too hard and you're like, I reached my maximum, my maximum, my maximum. This was way too much for me. So I don't know. Yeah. This is, excuse me. This is probably one of the, we've had some great conversations um, since we started this podcast, Um, different stories, different experiences. And and this one truly, I think I know this one truly hits because this is why we wake up every morning to go to work is to help, is to help students, um, students of color, more particularly um, black students, you know, and it's a conversation with, I don't think we have too often. I think we have a lot of conversations about what we're doing to advocate students, but conversations in terms of what does that really look like? The peeling of the onion, so to speak, um, and how that truly impacts who we are as a person. Because unlike some races, when we help our students on our campuses, it doesn't end at five o'clock, even if we go home. Right. (laughs) You know, because one, we were those students. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we do is to give students what we didn't have when we went to college. Yeah. So, well, um, 
so we're wrapping up um, and we have some questions that we ask all of our guests um, kind of like personal questions but not too personal mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so when you think about the work that you do on a, any given basis um, what is some music um, some songs um, that come to mind that you have to listen to to get you out of a funk or to uplift you or whatever the case may be. So what, what what's on your playlist? What's on your personal playlist? Oh, my playlist is so eclectic depending on the day. <laughs> you know, how tired I am. If I need <laughs> to pump me up or right. I feel like, okay, it's four o'clock, almost five. <laughs> doing it nice and easy like Tina Turner. It just... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, usually if I need some inspiration, I listen to my gospel, my Kirk, he never fails me ever. So I listen to gospel when I need some more inspirational or more uplifting, but also just some music that's honestly good for my soul that, that affirms me who I am. Like that, her song. Yes, I am. I am. That's like my favorite song of the year. To me, that's the song of the year. Wow. As I am, you a fool to not take me as I am. Like, yes. Mm. just wrote them lyrics she did that or whoever wrote it did it wow Wow. so just and just stuff about not stuff music about just affirming where you are and knowing that the best is yet to come Mm -hmm. and again you are enough right where are you at this is not the end of your story and there's something better is already on the way and just believing that and also i think that helps me speak that to my students before i you know bust out my bible you know <laughs> trying to you know just i mean to me there's nothing wrong with something positive something positive could change anybody's day you don't even know their situation or what they're going through so mm-hmm. not only gospel but even just old school i listen to a lot of 70s 80s a lot of earth wind and fire what's your favorite earth wind and fire song Oof, oof. Mm, don't do it to me. That's too hard. <laughs> yes. mm. I can't just add it to our list. Pick one. Um, what's the song? I can't even think of the title. Lyrics. What's sing some of the lyrics? You don't want to hear me sing. I was just about to say sing it. Come on, girl. Uh, not reasons. What's the song? Fan- I think Earthwire Fantasy is a powerful song, and I think it has very different interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really good one. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> what was the other one you said? You said it was a Yes, I Can? I think it's called I Am or Yes, I Am. It's about her, H-E-R. You probably heard it. I think it came out this year, like earlier this year, right before the summer hit, like May, June-ish, maybe April ish yeah she's a dope artist she really mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so moving from music what are some books that you're reading now or that you have read that you would like to recommend to others to read so i'm finishing up two books after a long year and a half of playing with these books besides a textbook <laughs> <laughs> um I'm reading, uh, I think it's Jen Sincero, You Are a Badass. I like that book a lot. Just affirming where you are, greatness is upon you, and just just reminding yourself who you are and why you're here, and to be kind to yourself, love yourself, and to keep pushing mm-hmm. going. I, 
I, I read more influential books more than anything. And then I'm also reading on the contrast, the subtle art of not giving a, you know what? Ah, <laughs> yeah. I forgot who it's, but I don't have a nearby, I'm but I think it's that book. Not. Let me go find it. <laughs> the subtle art of, by Mark Manson. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's it. That one, I, I'm only like maybe 30, 40 pages in it, but it's good. But I think it's also more of a, I'm not going to say aggressive or assertive, but more of like a take it or leave it. This is how I am. Right. Get what it or get lost uh, attitude, which isn't bad, but I think it's kind of different and kind of like playing devil's advocate compared to the you are mm -hmm. badass book, which they're similar, but they have different, I think, interpretations of the way they explain why. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And lastly, twofold, tell us what this podcast means to you. And then the second piece or second part would be, who is the black woman that you want to celebrate? Mm. So to me, this podcast is for all the closed door conversations with my black and brown and coffee and caramel sisters and also males. <laughs> Okay, okay. All the whispers, like, girl, or all the looks like, I know you saw that, and I, like, just all that little stuff. It's a, it's an open, valid, inviting space that gives authenticity, authenticity, but also an honest, open opinion about it. And it's not even just to bash or be negative or anything like that, but, again, all the whispers and the looks even over the past year and a half with my other minority coaches, the looks we get about certain situations or seeing things go down and it's like, mm, mm. so just an open space to really talk about that and, and dive into that and really try to, you know, take it apart and, and really hear other people that have similar experiences like that. And of course, black girls rock. So of course, you know. <laughs> of course. A woman that I want to celebrate and why? Of course, so cliche, my mother. As I mean, there's nothing better than a black woman, to be honest. But my mother always valued education and getting an education and knowing that once you get this, no one or nothing can take this away from you. You got this by yourself. Not that other people did not help because we all know it takes a village, but just being a woman in society and just times are changing, just being educated in whatever it is, or being, being that person you want to be, being proud of who you are, whatever discipline it is, and moving forward confident in that and not having to dim your light or dim your knowledge for anyone or anything or any area. Right. So I would say my mama, shout out to Joyce. Yes, Joyce. Shout out to Joyce. <laughs> Hi, Joyce. <laughs> well, we have thoroughly um, enjoyed this conversation. Yes, yes. And, and I've enjoyed y'all so much. From, from, from one season uh, professional to an upcoming seasonal profession, season profession, I wish you nothing but success. Thank you. Um, know that we have shoulders for you to lean on uh, 
to you to just kind of touch and agree on if you ever need it. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for your voice. Um, and thank you for the work that you're doing for minority students at your institution as well. And thank you all for coming together and creating this podcast. Thank you for listening to episode 14 of Black Women's Voices. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with our guest, Renelle Thayard. If this is your first time listening, please check us out. All of our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Also, please don't keep all of this for yourself. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. That way, others will be able to find us. We want this platform to reach as many as possible. Thanks for listening, and we will chat with you soon.